Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. This is your host Simon Sweetman and we are up to episode 60, 60, which is kind of amazing to me and um, this is a great episode because uh, this one took a while to, to, to happen. Uh, this is me talking to Miranda Harcourt, who really I would think needs no introduction, um, but I'm going to give her one because her CV is so amazing that I think there's lots of things people don't know about about her and what she's been doing the last few years. We all know her as some kind of actor. Maybe people's reference, immediate reference point is Gloss, uh, if you can think back that far. And we do talk about that. But why this was amazing was because uh, we worked on getting this interview, this conversation for about six months. Um, because she's so busy, any, any spare moment, uh, she was very, very good about coming back to me and 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 patient with my requests, and I try to be patient with her uh, inability because things would come up, like her, her um, schedule as such. And you'll hear about that a bit more in the podcast. So, so she's born to acting parents. Uh, her mother, Kate Harcourt, is uh, at the age of ninety and still working. Uh, and she has she's married to uh, Stuart McKenzie, a writer and director and producer and an occasional actor. And um, they their kids um, do some acting. One of them's overseas working on an American movie at the moment, and you'll hear more about that in the podcast. So um, yeah, a great acting family. Miranda, of course, has done a bunch of acting, uh, some writing, some directing. Her and Stuart are in post production at the moment for their movie uh, The Changeover, based on the Margaret Mar novel so that's going to be again there's more on that in the in the podcast uh and and Stuart and her have worked together a lot um the film for good um back in the early uh acting days for Miranda they did a lot of uh, verbatim recordings it's a theatre technique where which uh, I'll let her explain in the podcast but basically they went around and talked to people from all walks of life and re- got their conversations down on tape and used that as source material to to adapt and to reuse and to recreate. Um, but uh, what, what she's been doing a lot over the last few years is uh, working as an acting coach and uh, if you saw that amazing movie Lion, uh, you might have seen her name in the credits, she was the acting coach on that. She has worked with uh, some of the biggest name directors and biggest name actors in Hollywood and she gets flown around the world to uh, provide this acting coach service but just as often she does it from her house via Skype um, or she does it on a telephone and we talked about those sorts of situations that pop up that she is basically to some of her clients on call 24 hours a day and it can be anything from uh, technical you know offering technical advice to being a kind of therapist to being a trusted uh, you know a, a, a person that the actor trusts to to unpack um, their experiences and their jobs and you know what they're working on so pretty fascinating hearing about that um, she is also kept up with the acting you would have seen her in the rehearsal a couple of years ago and um, I just you know I I first met Miranda about 15 years ago uh, through journalism doing an article on her and we've kind of kept in touch a little bit over the years and uh, it was just uh, amazing to have this time with her to hear about all these experiences so I hope you enjoy this one it's me talking with uh, Wellington based actor acting coach producer writer director uh, general uh, um, enthusiast and promoter for uh, the arts and particularly for theatre and acting, Miranda Harcourt. I've kind of got a reference that we, we first met quite a while ago in, um, in 
the, the lofty world of newspaper writing about houses. I came and interviewed you right. for your, um, when you were living in a different place. Yeah, yeah. In Newtown. And I think how that came about was uh, I'd just started writing for the paper and um, uh, I had met Stuart through a, a mutual friend who had put me onto Stuart and basically said he'll, he'll, he'll catch up with you. I was desperate to find out how to get published, how to write, mm. um, things I'm still trying to <laughs> work on. Um, and Stuart very kindly came and, and had a chat to me. That's right. And I mean, then I messaged him a bit later when I got this kind of um, tip off that, oh, if you know anyone that's, uh, you know, interesting, it's interesting to talk about them or their house, we'll come and take photographs. And we'll, and I'd done one with Ray Mercer and then I said, oh, I could, you know, I, well, I messaged Stuart and he, he basically said, I've no interest in that at all, but, you know, um, unfortunately, Miranda does, so <laughs> that's how I remember his email, something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's where we met, and that was uh, about 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe, it must maybe have been. a bit longer. It must have been, no, it must be a bit longer. Yeah. Because we've it was lived here very early for 17 years. Right, well, it must have been very close to. Well, no, no it must have been late 90s because Peter was born in 98. Oh, no, you're right. No, you're right. It would be early 2000s because Thomason was born at. Um, I reckon you had a pretty house. much brand new baby when yeah, I met you. Yeah, it would be, it'll be 2001 wow. or something. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, crazy. So, you have a lot of stuff to talk about pre that and then an awful lot of stuff to talk about mm. post that. Um, I wonder where you want to go. Should we start at the start? Yeah. Okay. So, you, to most people that know you and know what you do, um, you are kind of born into a New Zealand acting royalty. Mm, well, but that's a terrible term. I know. But well, I just know, mean that's what a lot of people. Yeah, that's grasp a perception. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's because people um, want to uh, put you in a box and yeah. go right. Well, just like England's got, you know, in Verticomas acting dynasties, then yes. the, and so is America. Yes. Then it'd be handy yeah. if we could pretend that we have a longer history than we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not only in terms of our actual history, but also our performing arts history. And um, but um, so when it was just me and my mum, mm. there were a number of different people, like the Hawthorns and the um, that's Raymond Hawthorne, brilliant director, and his amazing daughters Sophia and Emmeline, mm. and um, the McRae's, wonderful um, Elizabeth McRae and her very talented daughters, um, who both work in the performing arts. One is an actor, one at Weta and Park Road Post. You know, so there's. Yeah. There are lots of dynasties or like, you know, families who happen to work in the same thing, just as yeah. like there are lots of um, plumbing families, yeah. the parks down on the beach yeah, yeah, or yeah. Electrical, electrical engineering families, art families. But um, you've created a, a, a next generation of it. Yeah, that's which what is, is exciting and it's and, probably and also, what um, legitimizes some concept of a dynasty. Now. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, because that and really it's just context. Yeah. But, um, but you know. But who doesn't grow up at one point? Um, wanting to even superficially do what their parents do because that's the yep. first understanding of it. I mean, my son said to me the other day, all he wants to do is grow up and be a writer, and I said, I'd hoped for so much more. Yeah, <laughs> you know, please get, yeah, get, yeah, that yeah. Your, get you that you know, out of your head. Get that out of your head immediately. Well, we can yeah. only have one bub in the house. You know, exactly. But, but that's his concept because he knows that's what I do. And he know? loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then, of course, they, they get to 16 and they're like, you know, I want to do anything other than what my parents do. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up um, with the sound of the typewriter in the next room and the sound of the coffee grinder because my father was a writer. Mm. And God knows how he managed to be. He was from a real estate family. Yeah. Which really is a real estate dynasty because yes. they, that is like four or five generations yeah, of yeah. high courts who were in real estate and still are all over the country. Um, but he managed to escape real estate and become a writer. I do not know how he managed to do that. Or, and, um, or why. 
or and why, you and know, why, yeah. somehow he, he, he went, no, I'm different from the other people in my, um, in, well, my, my siblings. And my mother managed to escape a North Canterbury, incredibly conservative farming family, deep mm. country, mm. Um, to be a singer and an actress. Goodness knows <laughs> how they did that. Yeah. But, you know, that's, I grew up in that context. I did my first um, TV role, film TV role, playing Catherine Mansfield in a TV documentary in 1964 yeah. when I was two years old because now I'm 54. <laughs> so, and yeah, I just said to Stuart this morning, my husband Stuart, I said um, that yesterday somebody rang up about an audition and I was like, you know, I'm programmed to go audition? Yes, of course. Yeah. Send me the script. I will do the audition. That's what you do as an actress, especially yeah. when you've been doing it for 52 years yeah, since yeah. my first job. Yeah. And I went, yes, I went, um, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not interested in that role. It doesn't push my buttons. I don't want to do it. And that was a, a like breaking free for me. It was a big moment in my life to to go. You know what? I don't have to do that just because I've done it for fifty two years. There are other more rewarding things in my life right now mm. that I would rather be putting my time into, yeah. like other people's acting. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, back to your um, your comment about the dynasty. Yes, my mother, blah blah blah, and then I, um, you know, was kind of fell into um, doing what my mother did and my father, um, and my brother did that for a while. But he's in broadcast journalism, yes. so um, same, same. And then um, now we've got our our kids. Our oldest son, who's 18, is a very good actor, but um, good on him. He's more interested in politics. So, so he's, he's studying and yeah, he's... Yeah. He's like, Mum, stop sending me these <coughs> auditions. I don't want to do it. Yeah. And um, But our middle daughter, Thomason, um, has now got an O-1 visa. She's in the States. She's playing a lead role in an awesome movie directed by Deborah Granick, um, who directed Winter's Bone. Yeah. And um, which is a, obviously an art house movie. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you're in a room full of a hundred mm. people, which I often am, <laughs> doing keynote speeches, I'll say, "Who's seen? You know, who's seen Winter's Bone? One yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Maybe seen Winter's Bone. Maybe two. <laughs> Ma- maybe two. If yeah. they watched it by mistake on a plane. Yeah. Um, and then I'll go, "Who's seen Lion? Everybody. Yeah. Every single person. I've just done two speeches recently in um, two uh, the last two weeks. Yeah. Everybody has seen Lion. I don't know what." There is some weird magic in that film that makes it completely, um, it appeals to all ages, all types, all mm. classes, all levels of education. There's something absolutely universal in that film. Anyway, Tom, there's Thomason over there working with Deborah Granick, rehearsing mm. as we speak, and, um, um, and that is a great pleasure to me that, yeah. that she's managed to, um, to hew her talent into... Um, something that works not just in New Zealand but internationally. And the youngest of you, given the um, the pills required, yeah, yeah, or yeah. she the, caught the, the bug on her own? Or? Yeah, yeah. We've got to think not of yet. a special acting Kool-Aid in that yeah, cupboard. Yeah, um, yeah you know, she's, she's actually already, she's 10, she's been directed by Luc Besson in a thing they did over there, um, a, a little preparatory exercise they did for Valerian, which he then went mm. and shot in France. She's been directed by Jane Campion in a really great ANZ um, women's empowerment advertisement. Yeah. And she has been directed by Vincent Ward. So, you know, yeah. she, she's already got a <laughs> better a career than me. <laughs> you know, and she's 10 and she has no interest in acting. Yeah, yeah. I think she's just kind of going... Yeah, it's a great oh. accidental CV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? So she's done quite a lot. She's actually made um, a couple of very good short films. Mm. So, um, so yeah, she's she might do it. I don't know. Mm. It's like, open up the opportunities... It's like going to the library. Here's a whole library, and mm. you could, um, you know, here are some opportunities just because you happen to be in our family. And if that interests you, 
then there, here are the ways to pursue it. But if it doesn't, then that's a harder road for us because, like with Peter, um, I knew nothing about politics yeah. before Peter demonstrated an interest in politics, and so it has been incumbent on me to widen my spectrum of knowledge mm. and embark on a self-education program that allows me to support him and what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So when do you, going back to your childhood, when do you click that this is something the household does, this is something that I've been, because you don't make the decision at two to appear in something, that's that you've already done that and you don't remember that beyond sort of photo snaps and people talking about it. Do you ease very simply easily into this or do you rebel against it at some point or are you you know just a born actor that's that just happens I don't know for, um, you know for, I think people like flowers respond to sunlight you know people respond to love and acclamation mm. and if you are in a context where everyone around you is acting mm. and you know your parents friends are directors and art directors and mm. producers mm. and other actors blah 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 then if you show even a tiny bit of interest or talent, um, then you're surrounded by people going, oh, we recognise yeah. what you're good at. Yeah. And those people are not um, nuclear physicists or yeah. brain surgeons, so they don't notice if you're, inter- if you're good at other things. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're looking for the common... Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're looking and more than the of interest. And so I think unconsciously, yes. like a flower with the sun, you grow towards the sunlight and you... Um, that's how context, I think, can be a bad thing mm-hmm. because it means that other aspects of your ability possibly withers. Because, you know, f- for me, what I love doing is teaching. I'm a really good teacher. I absolutely love it. It's really appealing to me. And um, and, and also I love um, acting. But what I do now, which yeah. is a, the perfect combination of yes. teaching and acting, yeah. where I get to do all the things about acting that I love and none of the things about acting that drive me bananas, yeah, yeah. and all the things about teaching that I love and none of the really um, long hours and boring stuff, it's kind of perfect for me. Yeah. But it um, did take an act of will to be able to go, uh, to move away from well, that sunlight. I want to talk about that in, in some more detail, obviously, because that's of interest to me, because, you know, it's a job that a lot of people probably don't even think exists past the you know the training the drama school kind of aspect but when did you when did you recognize in yourself that you're a good teacher and you know when did you um, think that that was something that you were going to move towards outside of someone who grows up with this you know performance mm. focus and and obviously talent um I, I don't know, you know, like, I've always, I always really enjoyed being a babysitter when I was a kid and, um, you know, helping kids achieve other things. But um, when I, uh, quite early in my life, after I left drama school, I got a job on Gloss, um, which was a famous 1980s soap that yeah. now, thank God, there so are generations but, of children who haven't heard of. Yeah, so have people stopped flinging things at you in the no. street for that? No, I mean, you know, no, <laughs> that will never stop because there will always be people of my age. Yeah, yeah. There will always be the hairdresser in Tupuki who'd left the country for 20 years and That's then the come back. And um, and I walked into a shop to buy some shampoo and he was like, oh my God, what have you done to your hair? I was like, dude, that was 30 years ago. But, um, you know, there will always be those people. But um, now, thank goodness, there are some <coughs> people born after that era. Yeah, yeah. But... I did gloss, I had a great time, it was really fun, but then I got, um, well I applied for, uh, some financial support from the Roy McKenzie Foundation and um, the Winston Churchill Foundation gave me some money to go and study for a year at the Central School of Speech and Drama, Drama Therapy 
um, course, mm. which is working with disability, working in prisons, um, working with deaf people, and um, and working with profound disability. So um, that was very interesting to me, yeah. and it was a, a huge contrast in my life, of course, to go from drinking, you know, cheap Yolumba, um, and you know, wearing your shoulder pads and your yeah. big hat and your yeah. hairspray. <laughs> Um, around flouncing around Parnell to go from that life, which was quite intense for three or four years up in, in Auckland, mm. and then to leave and go and work in Wormwood Scrubs Maximum Security D-Wing mm. um, and a school for deaf children and uh, the Bremba Centre for Profoundly Disabled Adults, which is where I then immediately went and spent a year and um, became very passionate about those aspects of, of using um, the skills of theatre making and drama but in a therapeutic environment so I loved that mm. it was really great and I came back and um, I think to everyone's horror including my parents they were like what? <laughs> but you know you're glamorous we set you off on this path we set you on this path of glamour <laughs> yeah, yeah. wearing a purple leather pantsuit and high heels <laughs> and now you've come back and you're working at Arahata Women's Prison what the yeah. hell? where do we go wrong? do you know what I mean? so yeah. that was a point where I really had to push mm. hard against the expectation of what it is to be inverted commas an actor hey. Had um, Gordon broken the news about moving away from acting to yeah, broadcast yeah. journalism by that point? Was, he it was, a double, a, was it a double blow? It was a double blow. He was probably at journalism school by then. Yeah, yeah. And he may well have started on fair go. So we're both kind of like working at the socialist end of yes. performing arts. Yeah. And, you know, my parents are staunch Labour supporters, unionists from way back, but I think everyone around me had a very, you know, what you imagine actors do, mm. which is, um, you know, glamoury kind of stuff. But um, but that was so that took a quite a lot of hard work because people were disappointed, mm. um, they were um, chagrined, they were confused. Yeah. So the context of people around me were like, "What the hell are you doing?" And then I went to um, Arohata and with William Brandt. Yeah, this is um, verbatim. Yeah, 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 and then later with Stuart, yes. we embarked on this amazing journey that we've been on since with verbatim um, theatre, which yeah. really informs my practice as a, a person in the performing arts, and that has been probably like a 25-year journey since yeah. we wrote and mounted verbatim and toured it to, to all the 22 prisons then in New Zealand and to all the prisons in New South Wales and to prisons in um, Britain um, and also to schools and theatres and, wow. you know, yeah. that became a really substantial platform to stand on. I remember reading the script or transcript, if you like, of, of that, you know, um, years ago, but can you sort of explain a bit about um, how that was devised and what it, what it actually is. Yeah, sure. The um, it was published again last year by Playmarket yeah. actually with a really great introduction by David O'Donnell, um, who's the you know head honcho lecturer at Victoria University in um, theatre history, and um, so it's what he's written about verbatim mm. in the context of world verbatim theatre practice is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, verbatim, as you would imagine from the title, is going into an environment and doing exactly what we're doing now which is um, talking on tape, mm. recording something, probably less focused than this, which is an interview situation yes, yeah, where yeah. I'm a sophisticated interviewee because I know what you're doing, yeah. so I'm going on a journey with you. But, um, but if you're recording verbatim text, you would normally be going out into the community and interviewing somebody who's lived in a garage for five years or somebody who has killed their wife and how they feel about that or somebody who doesn't have the sophistication of understanding what it is to be interviewed. Mm. So you're really capturing the poetry of how real people really speak. Um, somebody who's, you know, working in the mobile station in um, the middle of town and, you know, 
mm. what that's like. And, um, or an art collector, you know, whatever. And then you will take that material from a journalistic perspective and you'll transcribe it very carefully with all the coughs and mm. um, excuse me's and shouting out to see who's at the door and going to the toilet and all that kind of thing, the making of cups of tea. All of those things are included and, um, and then you will make something of that. Kate yeah. McGill's just made a show called Weave in Auckland, um, which is 20 interviews with 20 New Zealanders, a search for New Zealand identity. And she, that is an echo of the great verbatim practitioner, Anna Devere Smith, um, the American uh, actress and verbatim practitioner, who's got an ongoing project, the search for American character. Mm. Um, and she did very political pieces. at the Interestingly, at the same time we were doing verbatim, the mm. very beginning of verbatim theatre history, <coughs> where she did um, Twilight, Fires in the Mirror, and a show about the um, LA riots. So she was using that theatre practice to as an examining tool mm. for the for society, which is what theatre should be. And um, and you know, lucky for us, the same time we were doing our verbatim project was at the very beginning of verbatim practice. So I'm very proud to be able to say that that our work is right at the beginning of a, mm. Um, mm. a burgeoning trend. And since then, Moises Kaufman and the Tectonic Theatre Project have done um, the Larry Project and the Larry Project 10 years later, the um, Three Trials of Oscar Wilde. There's, now it's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, an established... It's an established technique. Yeah. But um, we were right at the beginning of it, and it's really, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and you can see it in, um, you know, work that you guys have done that's outside of that exact technique like I think most of just listening to you describe that I'm thinking about um, the film that Stuart made that you're in For Good For Good yeah, yeah which was the adaptation of portraits yes so yeah you know you can see it in the in those interview scenes you can see how how realistic they are mm. for what is still a feature film you know yeah, not a documentary but yeah. it almost has a documentary quality particularly at the start of that movie yes those, those early sort of scenes yeah, yeah you're absolutely right and that's that's what I love that's the um, that is the performance um, aesthetic that I really love mm. is naturalism to the point of documentary yes. where somebody's watching it and they're like what is this a documentary oh no it's yeah. a drama so that you're really kind of writing that line which is why I like yeah. Winter's Bone for example yes 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 in fact when we um, just a little sideline um, here sidebar we um, sh- did a test screening for some teenagers of our f- recent feature film, The Changeover, right. which, for which we're still in post-production. Yeah. <coughs> and we um, got a random group of teenagers together, girls, boys, aged 13 to 18, and showed it to them at Park Road Post. Um, and because they're teenagers, especially the boys, you know, we stood up and introduced the film, but all yeah. they could hear was... <laughs> Grown-ups talking. Yeah. <laughs> so one of them in particular, he had no idea what he was watching. Had no idea that it was a feature film, and for the first quarter of an hour, he was like, "Oh, this is a documentary about Christchurch," and then the narrative began. He was like, Why, "Where am I?" Yeah. So I was like, you yeah. know, he was really writing the genres. Response. I know. Yeah. I was like, "Thank you, thank you. We have achieved what we set out to achieve." Yeah. Um, because for me, good drama mm. should feel as though it is really um, engaged in, in real life. And my timeline's a little fuzzy here, thinking of. Um, the movie For Good, but I, th- I was thinking the other really great example to me of those that verbatim technique um, and that blurring of documentary and fiction and stuff is the show that you and Stuart did bi- as a biography of my skin. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't remember if that was the subtitle or the title, for it, but I remember seeing 
you know, when that was a production, I remember seeing that and being quite blown away by by the sort of breaking of those conventions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those, um, we, I mean, we started with our very classic style verbatim projects, verbatim mm, portraits, mm, mm. which then became for good. And then, because Stuart is um, a really good comedic writer, yes. and as our family started to encroach on our, you know, straight down the line, spending 24 hours a day being an artist, mm. um, we were like, well, let's let verbatim theatre practice mix in with, with Stuart's comedy yeah. and also mix in with family life yeah. so let's um, apply those verbatim techniques on ourselves and see our own family life with two, three shows actually, the first one was Flowers from My Aunt's Garden yeah. which was Stuart writing a show about a mother and daughter yeah. me and my mother Yeah, I was going to say, if only you could find a mother daughter yeah, yeah. in combo, yeah. oh there's one there's one, <laughs> and then the other the next one um, is Biography of My Skin mm. and it's interesting that you I'm not sure whether that's the byline or the title because when I look back on that I think we should have called it Portrait of a Marriage mm-hmm. um, which is a famous book by I think it's by Harold Nicholson about his mother Vita Sackville West but it's a great title Portrait yeah. of a Marriage and that's what that was that's what that was that was Stuart right. writing an autobiography about his marriage and my favourite moment in that it was an inverted common solo show yes that, which he... then Stuart invades yes but once he had invaded it my favourite bit was when I got to go off stage for a moment have a off, break <laughs> have a break screaming having a big argument with Stuart yes and then Stuart was left alone on stage the writer alone on stage going oh I didn't oh, expect the actress to, be here. to leave yeah, me yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he does a brilliant monologue about yes. how difficult it is to be married to me yeah and the audience we took it around the country, and the audience, they just couldn't believe it. Yeah. But because they knew that he was telling the truth. Yeah. You know, I blame her mother. Her mother never taught her to cook. She only ever taught her to act. She can't drive. She can't type. You, all these terrible things <laughs> about me and how annoying it is to be married yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was just... Well, it seemed quite like, to me at the time, it was, you know, the context of my, my viewing of theatre, films and TV, it seemed that sort of meta approach of when he breaks into the performance and then exactly what you just described, that, that feels, I'm sure, something along those lines has been done, had been done before that, but to me that seems very um, prevalent these days in, in quite dark comedies, that break, yeah. you know, particularly TV comedies, that yeah. sort of the turn to camera, the, the decision that one character can speak to the camera but no one else can, all those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah it sort of embodied a lot of that for me, for, just for me, for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that, that, um, you're right. You know, that um, had been um, on, on, in film, and I can't remember mm. the name of that famous film writer um, who wrote um, uh, all those films which were kind of reflexive, self-reflexive. He's a very famous film writer. His name has slipped my mind and will come back to me the moment you leave the house. Anyway, he he made um, Adaptation. Charlie oh, yeah. Kaufman. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman, yeah. So, there's a, so it's like Charlie Kaufman was doing yeah. that on screen, yeah. but nobody was doing it on stage. Well, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, even Woody Allen and, and um, what's that great, um, Eddie Hall, you know, yeah. where he, I, I have Marshall McLuhan right here, actually. Yes. He goes and drinks, but even before that, he's talking to the camera yeah. about how frustrated he is, the guy rabbiting on behind him in the movie camp. Yeah, yeah. And then when the guy mentions Marshall McLuhan, he's like, well, I have him right here. And he yeah. goes off and grabs him. And to this day, it's like, 
that's that, that scene's over 40 years old and it's kind of more relevant with yeah. the, in terms it's, of the concept of what people want to do but I seeing know. I remember seeing that obviously not when it came out it came, that film came out when I was born but whenever I watched that as like a teenager or whatever I just remember thinking how cool that was yeah yeah, yeah. I must watch that film again I know a brilliant moment and I can't believe that you say that it's 40 years old because yeah. it's such a contemporary yeah. um, mind bending yeah. um, moment like a, um, an intersection between where fiction and reality meet each yeah. other yeah. I know amazing yeah so you guys I think another thing I want to talk to you about actually is um, I guess I guess it was addressed in some sense in that biography by Skid but Stuart and you have this have have two really important and meaningful collaborations because any marriage or long relationship is a collaboration but you guys have maintained quite a healthy steady work mm. collaboration you've also still go off and do other things and have other interests related to your work but how can you talk a bit about how you guys met and connected and formed the working relationship did the working mm. relationship come first no no it didn't actually you would think that it would you would think that we worked yeah, together on something and then, and on then, something, and yeah. then went oh I love the way you work actually I love you and then forgot you lived in two separate homes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that, that's how you would expect it to happen but no actually um, we met Stuart and I met on our very first day at Canterbury University very first day in fact for me my first five minutes at Canterbury University because I mm. walked in the gate of the university hall where I, I got off the bus and walked in the gate of the university hall and in my memory this is 19 81, um, there was just like a completely arid concrete <laughs> desert yeah. wasteland with yeah. one single person walking towards me, which was Stuart McKenzie. I was like, hello. He went, hello. I said, would you help me take my bag into the blah, blah, blah? And he went, yeah, sure, and um, carried my bag in for me, very kind. And then um, he said, oh, I'm going into town to get my ears pierced. Do you want to come? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. So we went and he got his left ear pierced. I got my right ear pierced because we only had $10 and it was five bucks in here. <laughs> And then it was like, oh, we'll see ya. And then he went off and had other relationships and a uh, baby and, you know, did his own thing. And I went off and had other relationships. But we were always close friends. Yeah. And if anything happened in my life, it was always Stuart that I would ring because he was the wisest person yeah. that I knew. He's just so smart yeah. on a number of levels, intellectually smart, but also very emotionally smart. So, um, so eventually we were like, this is just stupid. Why don't we get married? <laughs> and um, why don't you know we just have a relationship? So that then we did, and then we um, spent a good, nearly ten years, slowly working out our working relationship. Mm. So we became each other's primary um, writing partner and business partner, and we would go together to do our verbatim um, theatre mm. projects, and um, um, and I would help Stuart write the plays that he was writing, like Double Beat and True, yeah. which yeah. are really beautiful little plays um, that we wrote in those early days. Well, he wrote them, and I um, helped him. And um, and he would help me with my work in the various plays that I was doing at Downstage or the Auckland mm. Theatre Company, both as an actor and as a director. Um, and I drew a huge amount of visual uh, inspiration and stimulation from Stuart's, um, his visual arts interest, mm. which had not been an area that I had ever encountered before. Right. Yeah. So his interest in the visual arts, the history of art in New Zealand and contemporary art practice, the work of Marilyn Tweedy, who then did the set design for um, verbatim, the work of Ronnie Van Hout, who then did the set design for portraits, <coughs> and other, yeah. the work of Billy Apple, you know, like, um, like just 
the, the world of the New Zealand visual arts, which yeah. now is so um, deeply embedded in my life, that was a revelation to me mm. and really fed strongly into my practice. And, and, ex- and work in other countries as well, for, like photographers like um, Sally Mann and Nan Golden, um, who I'd never heard of. It was like entering a lolly shop mm. of inspiration. Mm. So, um, but then it took a while longer for our actual work collaboration to become quite as into sort of quantumly entangled yeah. as it is now, mm. where now we just co-directed the changeover um, on an equal footing, and um, that's worked really well for us. So what was that experience? Yeah, what was that experience like at co-directing? Like, um, does that take a little while? Even even two people who know each other as well and have yeah. worked together as long, does that take a while to find the even footing of what that means? Yes, it does. Yeah. And it finds, you know, you have to, we all have strengths. We each have strengths mm. that we bring to the relationship. And for me, it is difficult to step out of being a coach. Yes. Because being an acting coach, where you're 100%, just 100% only thinking about the acting on somebody else's film, Yeah. whether it's Jane Campion, Peter Jackson, Garth Davis... Um, whoever it is, yeah. Gabo Supo, <coughs> all these uh, people that I've yeah. been the acting coach on their project, but that, but I have not, no input or um, shouldn't really even have any thought about the cinematography or the production design or um, the way the characters are costumed. Yeah. Those things are outside the parameter of, in a very hierarchical mm. structure of a film set, my business is the actors. So I have to break out of that to become yeah, a director yeah. and, um, and find a way to, um, um, to have an opinion and be powerful in those other, um, those other realms as well. But I'll tell you something we did which was incredibly useful um, was we found a really good um, psychotherapist and before we went down to Christchurch to co-direct the changeover together, we just went and, and asked her to be the umpire right in a series of conversations about how we were going to do it right yeah, which is much yeah. easier to do in the formalized setting yeah. of a, the office of a psychotherapist yeah. or a having, having done that publicly with biography of my skin yeah you decided to actually close the door on it yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well it was really useful <laughs> yeah. and we did the same thing before thomason went off um to america yeah. We're like well let's sit down and work out what will this yeah. is a weird thing for a 16-year-old to be doing. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. let's sit down and work out what are the challenges, what are our fears, what are our hopes, yeah. and um, and give ourselves the permission to really speak that out. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just think that psychotherapy is so useful in every aspect of life and, yeah. and um, shouldn't be the preserve of those who fear that they are suffering mental illness. It's yes. like, you know... Or, or a last hope. Like or a, a last, A last yeah. consideration that someone else sends you to, like, tells you... Yeah. You, you discover for yourself that... Exactly. This is where we're going with this, yeah. Yeah, I think in New Zealand we have got a very, yeah. um, you know, we should be right, you know, you, yeah, should, yeah. you should be okay. Everyone's okay until someone else tells them they're not. You're, yeah. not. you're not supposed to work that out about yourself. You're yeah. not supposed to say, I need help or I need to go and do this because it might help yeah it's 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 just keep battling until someone says you're off the field for a bit yeah you, you know you need to take five and go and do this yeah, yeah. and by then often it's like way too late in the process yeah I think the Americans have got a great attitude towards psychotherapy where it's yeah. just a, an ongoing conversation to keep a balance yeah so on paper you guys are the perfect co-directors because um Stuart has some um some acting background and understanding but he is primarily a writer slash director and you have some writing ability and some directing ability but you're primarily an actor so you you know you've got these two 
in, in theory, someone would think, well, you've got your eye on the actors and he's got his eye on the script and you're serving those two things together to... Yeah, but I don't think did either it, of us... It would. didn't stay in those no, established no, it doesn't roles stay at all. Because um, Stuart is really, has got a great eye for performance. Yes. Really fantastic. And so, um, so you know, he doesn't want to be boxed into being the guy who's looking through the... Um, who's standing by the cinematographer looking through well, the Well, he, lives, he the lives with a bunch of actors. He's watching yeah. performance, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and the people who go off to do performance yeah. every day outside of all his other work, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you go to what happens next in your, we've sort of jumped around in your timeline, but I'm like, so you've, you've done TV, you've done Gloss, you're one of New Zealand's most hated characters that <clears> you, you're not, but as happens, particularly back then, pre-internet and in a small country, people don't separate the actor from the character. Mm. So you actually cop some grief yeah. for being this person. Yeah, yeah, I played Gemma and... Yeah. Um, um, Gemma and Gloss, and you know she started out, out as a nice girl journalism yeah. student from Hamilton, and um, and then she very quickly became a um, you know evil witch, yeah. and and people hated me. People would spit at me. They would abuse me in the street. And you know my my good friend and ex student Bree Peters, who just played an evil character yeah. on Shortland Street, yeah. or Elizabeth Easter, um, who similarly played a character, a very evil character on Shortland Street. They've suffered the same thing. Wow. Where sometimes you have to you have to leave the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people feel so strongly, or they just have a very strong opinion about you. At what point are you able to go, I imagine you've been able to do this, but you, I don't imagine it happens at the time. At what point are you able to go, man, that's like the best compliment to my acting, that yeah. people can't separate and that they hate me that much. I, I played a convincing bad character. Yeah. That's something I imagine you arrive at later on. No, I, no, I felt that at the time. <coughs> you know, my friends knew that I was just a, um, a, a bit of a dork. Yeah. A bit kind of goopy and forgetful, and um, um, you know, very different from Gemma. My friends knew that. Yeah. I think that the negative, ongoing, and not even negative, maybe it's like once you've done something and you've done it well, and you've inhabited that character. Of course, then when people write another character in their film yeah. or TV series or play, or whatever, they're like, oh, I'll get that person who I know does a good version of that yes. yeah, yeah. to play this role. So. In a way, I kind of boxed myself or painted myself into a corner yeah. um, of playing bitches for the rest of my life. Well, you managed to break out and play a role in one of New Zealand's greatest films, Cinder Gorilla. That's true. Yeah. I can't even remember what role I played in that. <laughs> it's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you're doing a bit of... What I'm getting at is you, you, that's your launching pad, though, Gloss, in terms of uh, TV, movies, and then you are working in theatre, which you've been doing up to that point. Yeah. Um, so what's the next really... When do you turn to... Within that, when do you turn to some version of acting teaching? When, um, you know, then, of course, you know, children Children, come yeah. And um, so, of course, you know, there's an ongoing conversation about how um, being in a family yeah. has a negative impact on the career trajectory, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. particularly of women. And I haven't really experienced that because Stuart and I have really... Um, Shared that load, and I would say that he, much more than anyone else I know of his generation, other men of his generation, has taken on a much greater um, proportion yeah. of the parenting time and the house-oriented mm-hmm. um, time. And maybe that's because his um, father was an Anglican minister and so wasn't a nine-to-fiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a shared... Um, he had that story. understanding he had, he had that understanding. And... and a work flexibility or, yes. or location in, in a yes. sense already anyway. He was never but, a yeah. office kind yeah, of yeah, guy. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so children come along. I got pregnant in 1998 with our first child, Peter. And in that, probably, you know, um, the first few months of that pregnancy, I went to the drama school um, and talked to them, Toifikati New Zealand Drama School, and they said, yeah, come and, um, and teach here. Um, so I went away, gave birth, went back, um, very quickly got promoted to be the head of the department. So I was the head of acting at Toifikati for the whole seven years of my childbearing years. Yeah. And that was really handy for me, thanks very much, Toifikati, from when I first got pregnant with Peter until a week before I gave birth to Davida, our um, third child, who's now 10. <coughs> that seven-year period, yeah. I was a full-time employee, yeah. um, you know, earning $2.50, but it was regular yes. at, um, at Toifikari. And, and once again, that was like an education for me. So um, that was really a, a handy thing to feed into my career trajectory. And it was over that period of bringing up children and that kind of thing that... Um, um, that every now and again I would get the opportunity to coach actors on a film. The, f- the first time, which is actually much earlier than that, was um, on Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures, yeah. where um, they asked me to go down to Christchurch and coach Melanie Linsky, who had, was a 16-year-old New Plymouth schoolgirl yeah. who'd been plucked from obscurity. Yeah, I was going to say she was a complete novice, right? Yeah, like, well, she well, wasn't well, actually. In the sense that no one knew her, but she'd done No one so. knew her, yeah, but yeah. she um, was a really great school actor yeah, yeah. I know her drama teacher yeah. Claire Hall who's a lovely person who but, that doesn't, drama matter, but that doesn't matter to New Zealand film audiences it's no, like, no, we haven't like, seen you before you're yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. yeah that's my name like, so yeah she, she was um, she was a novice from that perspective and so they asked me to go down and coach her for her final audition mm. which I did she got the role and now in a beautiful um, circle of life Melanie plays the mother in the changeover Right. Yeah, so it yeah, was wow. such a great pleasure to yeah. be able to um, to loop that round. So that was my first experience of going. Hmm, this was that was interesting. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And then I, um, when I was at Tuivakari, the drama school, I got the opportunity through Liz Lang, once again over at um, Peter Jackson Land, mm. um, to coach the the two thirteen year old stars of an American movie that was coming to New Zealand to shoot Bridge to Terabithia, directed by Gabor Supo. Now, Gabor Supo is a fantastic director, and um, he had been an initiating animator on The Simpsons. He'd done Rugrats, and he'd done The Wild Thornberries. Mm. And if you visualise those films, they are all animations. Because he was a great animator. Yeah. That's what he was interested in. So once he got to the set and found that he was... (laughs) Not doing that. ...dealing with these real people, he was like, this isn't really in my comfort zone. I need a bit of a hand. Right. Lucky for me, I got that job. And um, um, coached Anna Sevier Robb and Josh Hutchison. Both have gone on to really fantastic careers yeah, yeah. in the States. And, um, and I still coach Anna Sophia, who a girl I love. You know, we've just got a great close relationship since that time. And, um, and luckily for me and for everyone involved in that film, it went on to make $147 million at the US box office. And it was number two. You know, it was it number two at the US box office. It becomes a good business card for, for you and Absolutely. all involved. Yeah, yeah it was a, a huge hit. So tell me, um, you just brought up then, the director in that film is not super experienced with working with real actors, so that's then he makes the decision to call it an acting coach. Is that quite common? Do actors do that thing like you've done with psychotherapy where they say, I need to call it an acting coach? Yeah. Is it different every time yeah. in terms of how you've been called in? Yeah. It's a bunch of different situations. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and that's the way it should be. Sometimes the actor hires me. Yeah. So, for example, I've coached um, Nicole Kidman with her last eight projects and 
Um, and that's just me and Nicole on the phone, sometimes for two hours, sometimes for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, just whatever is going to be useful, but that's a relationship between her and me. Now, if she's living in the States, but also is from Australia and is working all around the world, does this mean you're taking phone calls in the middle of the night? Are you available? Yeah. You're like that? You're one of the... You're yeah. With, with someone you have a relationship with. Yeah, yeah. And we, yeah, because... Um, we we're in a different time zone, so yeah. the only problem for me it's I mean it's the ideal job to do from home. It's just yeah. perfect for me. It's I've got in fact immediately after this interview I'm gonna be working with a kid in Sydney um in preparation for a role that he's doing in yeah. LA. Yeah. Um so for me it is the perfect job. Yeah. I A, I love it. Yeah. B, I feel that I'm good at it and um and three, I'm flexible enough to be able to do it at four in the morning yeah. or whenever it's gonna suit the actor. Yeah. So yeah, if Nicole is one of any various places around the world yeah. then working with her by phone is the best way to work because yeah. it's too hard to set up now when you have a, a, an existing relationship over eight movies which is you know a lot um, th- I, I can understand that but how do you teach this most sort of intimate of connections with people through a Skype feed or over a phone line like do you not you know do you not pe- you know a dummy like me who doesn't act and just watches movies would think that you would have to be right there to communicate something that important. No, I mean, really, it's like being... A, a sports coach is probably a bad analogy because you can't work with your sports coach by phone. Yeah. You know, the sports coach has to be there by the To physically at, at show the game. you plays and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or comment on plays, yeah. But maybe a, a psychoanalyst is a better yeah. um, a better analogy or just a, um, a, a volleyball. Everyone needs a conversation. Yeah. Anybody is going to um, make more discoveries and go further if they can bounce it back and forth with another person. So, um, so for me, you know, Nicole notwithstanding, anybody that I'm working with, yeah. they have different demands. Different Sometimes, needs, yeah. like my own life's work has to just be like a rubbish tip of random um, information and facts. Yeah. So I love reading about quantum science and physics, and, um, but also I love reading about visual art. And um, through Stuart, I've read about um, religion and spirituality. So I know a little bit. I know enough. Yeah about everything, I've got a stub of everything yeah. that I can then go further into because I know where to look. Yeah. So that that is like a bit like a journo. Mm. You know, that's a really useful skill. Also, I read like a demon. So mm. um, I read a lot, but more importantly, I read incredibly fast. So I can read um, a script and know where I am in the story and who's who and which characters are which mm. and where everything needs to be very fast and that's another really useful skill yeah so it just happens that all of my particular skills and i'm a good communicator Mm. um, and i'm a good improviser all of those things come together for me to be able to um, have something to offer um the various actors that i work with yeah but sometimes it's about research and helping people to understand more about the world that their character is occupying. Sometimes it's about encouragement and love and um, helping people to feel good about the choices that they've made. Yeah. Sometimes it's actually about um, skills. Techniques, technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. technical stuff and like um, trying to um, allow somebody to grow a characterization that they're unfamiliar with. Yeah. There's a whole range of different mm. things that you will, you know, um, with Nicole Kidman, obviously she is... a incredibly emotionally sophisticated and a fantastic actress so um, what she needs is very different from the 12 year old Australian boy that I'm going to be working with at 2 o'clock this afternoon yes yeah 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 they're, di- they're very very different yeah. demands and, yeah. and that so therefore the demand on me is to be um, flexible yeah yeah um, it's funny you mentioned before the loop of like Mel Linsky and I'm thinking like there's actually or maybe that's just 
someone working in the performing arts for as long as you have, but there's all sorts of interesting loops in your career. And one that, one that I thought was funny was going from um, attending sort of acting training to running the school to, in the rehearsal, playing an acting yeah, teacher yeah, yeah. to, of course, being an acting coach outside of a particular establishment. Yeah. So that's kind of all versions, which I don't imagine anyone else has done. Um, what was it like trying to play an acting coach when you are one? Um, that was a great challenge, and if yeah. anybody who's listening has seen the rehearsal by Alison McLean, which I was really thrilled to be involved in, um, A, because I love the original novel um, by Eleanor Catton, B, because I love... Emily, Emily Perkins work mm, mm. C because I love Alison McLean's work D because it was a women's team you know, yeah. there's just so many reasons that I love being yeah. involved in that and um, I talked to Alison in, uh, with my experience of being the head of acting at a drama school I talked to Alison in the writing processes um, to feed into her journey of creating that, yeah, um, right. that drama school and so when I came to audition for that role um, the audition came through, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And and I opened up the the script on my computer, and it was a monologue from me. It was just a whole bunch of stuff that I had said. Yeah, she said right. That she must have had quarter quarter on during the conversation, yeah. and then they just transcribed it. I was like, "Wow, that's so weird." <laughs> so that was a cool audition because mm. I was so deeply immersed because yeah. like, it was my own stuff. Yeah. In the um in the audition monologue. That um, it was one of those situations where either you own it so much that they can't possibly cast you, yeah. or you own it in a way that so they go. They can't cast anyone else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not going to be in the middle. Mm, and mm. and lucky for me, because uh, I love playing that role, they did cast me, and I was able to um, both sort of love my own history mm. as a drama teacher at Toyfikani, but also take the piss because mm, mm. <clears throat> it is a satire. And, yeah. Um, but I, but I hope those roles, all of them, uh, like Cohen Holloway playing um, the movement teacher, yeah. or me playing the um, the voice teacher, um, that they're they're rooted both in love, but also a little bit in satire. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love being able to speak out the Maori prayer that we spoke out every at the beginning of every staff meeting at Tuivikari, which you know, thank you Tuivikari for teaching me that prayer. Mm. It was fantastic. I was able to use it in the um, in the rehearsal, so <laughs> yeah. it came in really handy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other, I mean, the other one of the other obvious loops is is working with in whatever way with your mother. So like going from her giving you your first role before you knew it to actively working completely away and outside of what she's doing to the point that she's questioning why you're doing the prison stuff and that. Yes. To coming back and working together many times as well as being, I guess, uh, um, counsellors for each other and promoters for each yeah, other and yeah. whatever, but to actually sharing the stage, you know, a few times. And to, Absolutely, and yeah. to being able to um, give her well, an she's amazing... Well, e- she's even in Send a Gorilla as well, for example. Is she? But yeah, yeah. Oh, my she goodness. Has a, I so must go back and watch it. Don't watch it. It's... <laughs> not a good film sorry but I, I watched it a while I saw it as a kid and then I watched it again recently um, and and I thought it was funny just just the sheer number of people in it that you know too like yeah. you know the, the, all these names that have popped up that are all off doing spectacular things and here they are this quite muddled but kind of charming film mm. and also it, it shot in Wellington sort of two decades ago so it's yeah. quite fun to see Cuba Street it's right around the time I moved here so yeah. I, I had that association with it you yeah. know like I wanted to you know it was it, yeah so it's 
Anyway, yeah. she's in that too. So, yeah, oh, so she, there you go. You've even done things you didn't know that yeah, you were both exactly. in. <laughs> well, yeah, there are many, and I'm yeah. sure with my dad as well. Mm. But um, but she plays Winter Carlisle, the old witch in The Changeover. Yes. And so that was very rewarding yeah, to be able yeah. to... Um, because she's nearly 90. Yeah. And um, and now, um, so she's just had the changeover and she's just in a plant circus. She's so busy. And that's what keeps her and alive. And people know her from those TV ads recently, like it, like that they really resonated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now she's off to do a short film about euthanasia in Auckland. Wow. With a cool, really cool bunch of people. Yeah. So she's very lucky. And I, I sort of want to emulate her mm. in that when I'm 90, which I hope and I will get to, I... Hope to be still hanging out with really cool young people who are, you know, stretching the boundary and doing mm. funky things. Mm. Mm. I think that's really admirable about um, about her. Yeah. Wow. So, um, can, we'll talk, can we talk a bit more about some of the acting coach projects you've done? Because I know you were very, you've been very proud and I guess vocal and just because I know you're on Facebook you've been very proud of promoting a vocal of Lion which as you said it's a film that seems to have resonated with such a wide audience I mean I, I saw it um, in that in that stage where it's a little bit after it's been out for a while and you sort of think oh is all this hype really justified and I was completely blown away by it you know like I didn't I almost thought it hadn't been talked up enough if anything you know mm. amazing film so obviously that's a really big film to be involved in, in in any capacity but what are some of the other recent things that you're particularly proud of um, in terms of either how the film's been received or yeah. just the work that you've done yeah well um, you know if I think back to Bridge to Terabithia yeah, I'm really proud of the work that I did in that because um, it really helped those kids to create mm. quite an iconic relationship yeah. um, in in cinema history so like Lion mm, um, if mm. I go into a random room of people and say who's seen Bridge to Terabithia many people will put their hand up yeah. um, and something that I've done since Lion um, was another project with Garth Davis excuse me <coughs> um, Mary Magdalene mm. it's really interesting we're different from Lion once again with Rooney Mara um, and Joachim Phoenix playing Jesus so that's a pretty interesting experience um, and that was bizarrely Immediately after we'd spent two months in Christchurch shooting the changeover, right. I came back to Wellington and spent four days here yeah. and then went straight to Italy. So by the time I got there, I was <laughs> shell shocked yeah. from yeah. having directed this, co directed this project in Christchurch. Yeah. And then, um, and my job on, it was not acting coaching so much actually, my job on um, Mary Magdalene was um, background director, background action director. Right. So that meant, you know, my first day was working with seven or eight extras at the raising of Lazarus, mm. and um, including Lazarus himself, you know, like it was the, um, yeah. the anyone who wasn't Rooney or Joaquin. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I find myself directing 350 people in a huge piazza in Naples. Yeah. And, um, you know, none of them spoke English. Yeah, yeah. Very similar wow. to working on Lion, where mm. everyone spoke either Hindi or Bengali, mm. and um, so you have to upskill in your language very quickly. Mm. So I, um, in the first couple of days in Italy, just really um, found the phrases that I really needed to know, yeah, yeah. and then could throw them around to the um, um, to the people that I was working with. In fact, the cinematographer Greg Fraser in both films, he's an amazing cinematographer. He said, "Oh my God, how lucky! Mm. I didn't know you spoke Italian." 
I was like, Greg, I don't speak Italian, <laughs> yeah. but I've just got the bits and pieces that I need. I've, I've got the cadence version of the bluffer's guide. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, and it was the same with um, with Hindi. But also, I speak sign language, so um, that language of gesture is very useful in any yeah. culture. Yeah. So you know, Mary Magdalene, that was really exciting and thrilling. Um, working on Lion, obviously. Um, working on the couple of projects that I've worked with on with Jane Campion has been an amazing boon in my life. Mm. Um, she is such an amazing person. And a lot of the stuff that I teach to directors, I've just been at AFTERS, the Australian Film yep. and Television School, teaching the master's directing students there and cinematographers, producers um, and writers, but predominantly the directors. And, um, and a lot of the stuff that I talk to them about is uh, I use Jane Campion's work as an example because she... Um, is so loving towards her actors mm. and I can see that this is how Deborah Granick is on her work with actors as mm. well and maybe it's a thing with women I don't know but it's loving the work out of your actors as opposed to uh, creating a structure and demanding that your actors step inside that structure yeah um, sort of beating them into submission, and maybe that's a man-woman divide. I don't know. And the mother thing of nurturing too. I mean, parent, yeah, you know. But I was thinking, I was just thinking when you mentioned Bridge again, like there must be a real uh, validation for you in working with young actors because some of the things you do, they're going to take from not just that film. Yeah. You know, like if you're working with Nicole Kidman, Rudy Mara, they've done films already. They'll do films again. Yeah, sure, they'll retain a lot of that stuff. Um, and, and maybe call on you again, but you're actually putting something in place for young actors that mm. could be a really important yeah. part of their toolbox for a long time to come. Yeah. Well, and even working at Rata Studios over at Scots College, which is a teenage acting mm. school um, that I run every Saturday morning, and there are 30 teenagers, and that's a revolving, you know, um, uh, um, panoply of 30 teenagers because this is our fifth year. So some of our teenagers are, you know, 22 now, and they've been through drama schools. Um, and some of them are just starting out at Rata and they're 12 years old. But it is um, finding a way for those teenagers, help them into opportunities yeah. and um, provide them with the information that you wish that somebody would have told you yeah. when you were a young actor that would have set you on the right path and equipped you with the right kind of um, um, knowledge, aesthetic, um, awareness that can help you achieve as a screen actor. And my God, those kids at Rata, the, the, um, the strike rate in terms of employment is astronomical. Yeah. It's incredible. And, and that's because they're getting great specific teaching that is oriented towards the industry. Yep, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, yeah. But if I think back on the, um, the amazing projects that I've been lucky enough to work on, working with Jane Campion on Bright Star, starring Abby Cornish and Ben Wishaw, where I coached the little girl who played Toots, yeah. um, Evie Martin. A great um, opportunity. That was in um, London. And also working with Jane on Top of the Lake, yep. which is where I first met Garth Davis. Right, Because they right, co-wrote yeah, yeah. Top of the Lake. Yeah. Um, I was the coach for Tui, yep. the, um, the little girl on that. That was an amazing experience. And um, I learned so much watching Jane and Garth work. But also working with the amazing um, New Zealander Peter Jackson, yeah. who's just changed the landscape for all yes. of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the last twenty-five. Ensured years. that there's a film industry when, yeah. they're, when they're almost 
arguably wasn't. Yeah, you know, you know, absolutely. I mean, certainly and, not internationally known no, in any way. Has yeah. shone a light on yes. New Zealand and, and and you know ignited many candles here. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I was I've worked with him on a number of his um, projects, but most notably, um, I worked on the Lovely Bones with Rose McIver. Yeah, yeah. Who's now got a great international career. Yes. And um, Carolyn Dando and the other teenagers. Yeah. Um, who were in that film? That was a great experience. Yeah. And very, I mean, a very dark macabre sort of yeah um, particularly the starting of that film I mean the, yeah. the whole overall tone but you pulled right into this very murky grime, mm. grimy tone and feel well because it, I've foreboding. done so much work in prisons yeah and um, and I've done verbatim interviews with so many people who've done terrible terrible things I'm very familiar with that world yeah, yeah. and I'm also very familiar with the fact and this is a little tiny element of the useful coaching that went on on the lovely bones um, is that you have to be able to go in and out of character you can't mm. some projects you can stay in character the whole time you can be fully immersive and if you're a grown up you can be immersive being Mr Harvey in the lovely bones or um, you can go into yeah. something which is quite dangerous for your mental health if you're a kid or a young teen um, you need to be able to come in and out and have your own life yeah. and go into character so for that project, um, I talked to a yoga teacher here in New Zealand, Scott Millam, who gave us a little exit code and a little entry code in and out right, of yeah. the shitty world that, that those kids had to had to occupy. Yeah. And at the end of every day, we would um, do our little exit code, which was a breath and movement mm. figure. Mm. And um, and then we'd use that the next day to go back in. Do you know what I mean? So like a mini meditation? Like a mini meditation. And the th- mini is the operative word. Yes, yeah, because yeah. on a film set, you, there's no time. No. It has to, you have, if you, if you want to use a tool, yeah. it has to be a minute long. Yeah. So yeah. my um, on-set work as a coach um, is all about devising extremely fast tools yeah, yeah. that can get you there either physically or emotionally or mentally yeah, yeah. to where you need to be. Because when you said about doing the verbatim interviews that, I mean, it's easier said than done when you've spent a big part of your life you know, drawing on that stuff, accessing that stuff and drawing on it. But, I mean, do you recall the first time or first couple of times you talked to, say, a very bad person who'd done a very bad thing or even a a decent person who'd been caught doing a very bad thing? Do you remember being so affected by it and needing to unpack from it in some way? Or were you always able to channel it as this is a process of... This is a part of a process for work. Well, that's a very imagine, interesting question. I don't imagine it was ever that cl- like it could always be that clinical. No, and that is an interesting question because when you're young, you think you're bulletproof. Yeah. And I started doing those interviews with William Brandt and then also with Stuart McKenzie when we were all quite young. So you almost don't know that's going to affect no. you. Like you have no, you think you're bulletproof, yeah. and you think you know. Oh, I've got the special ability to withstand the yes. horrendous stories that I'm hearing all day, every day at Christchurch yeah. Prison or wherever we happen to be. Um, and you kind of go into that dark world um, and you have no idea at that young age mm. how it is affecting you or how it will affect you in the future. I was going to so say, I come back to milestones like having children and stuff, yeah. then this horrific story you've carried around for work purposes has a whole other yeah. application. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it, those experiences and those exposures come back and bite you in the bum much later in yeah. a way that you can't possibly imagine when you were 22 mm. or something. Mm. And so, you know, once again, my job as a coach is to go, um, I know you think that you're bulletproof yeah. and that um, that you think that you can go deeply into that experience and um, 
and escape unscathed. But I think that we should have an entry and an exit code just to teach your body mm. and your emotions that um, that it doesn't have to stay with you always. Yeah, yeah. But then there are other um, situations like what the role that Thomason's playing um, in the States at the moment, which has to be fully immersive mm. because it's, she's a girl who lives in the woods. Mm. She doesn't have any social media. Mm. So um, going home and spending two hours talking to your friends on Skype, it's not going to help your acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah. for that period of time... You have to live the life of the character. Yeah. Wow. Which strikes me as, I mean, she's got good training and, and, and good understanding of these processes, but just thinking about a teenager today, having, you know, it's one thing to tell them that, it's another to see that actually happen. But with her, she's got such a strong sense of purpose. Yeah. She really wants to do it. That's what she's, I mean. She has pushed her, her acting journey. Sure. She's the one who um, who wanted the role, so I, she'll be fine. But she's also even without you knowing it, observed some of the things that you've done, you know, and her dad around yeah. work, those sorts of working projects that, you know, that area. Yeah. You know, maybe even some stuff you haven't even clicked that she's been observing. Um, so what about your own acting? You still turn up for things, but uh, do you, you know, is there a shelf life for that or is there a need to keep match fit for that? Obviously... Acting coaching is a great form of keeping match fit for acting when you have a background in it, I'm sure. Um, but is there, like, does do you get the itch, the urge to, oh, it needs to be me out on the on the stage or on the screen? No, no. I To be perfectly honest with you, I, you know, wake up most mornings and go, thank God I'm I not don't need to do any acting <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah. So um, I'm thrilled at this, you know, and that will change. Yeah. Now that I am the age that I am, I know that that will all change in the future. But at the moment, I'm very happy mm. to be so little interested in the acting in myself and so much interested in the acting in other people. So it's all about outward flow. And, and that's, um, I think, partly being a parent, mm. where you have to um, s- subsume your uh, desire to, um, you know, devote yeah. yourself to... To rule know, the world. To rule yeah, the yeah. world or whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you just yeah. have to um, attend to other concerns. And that's very good for you as a human being, mm. especially mm. as an actor. So at the moment, I'm, um, I will do acting if it really appeals to me. Like in being in Alison's The Rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. Really appealed to me. Yeah. So it's like, great. I'd yeah. love to do that. But then there are other things that at the moment I'm like, I'm so thrilled to be able to say no. Yeah, that I don't have to pitch myself for that yeah. and turn up for the audition for Because I know or... just the kind of actor that I am. I'm a very immersive actor and I've taught myself that yeah. by mistake over many years. Yeah. So when I'm acting, I'm a terrible mother, I'm a terrible wife, <laughs> yeah. I'm a terrible friend, I'm a terrible person. I bump well, into to... things, I can't think about anything else, I wake up in the morning and... I probably have ten minutes of self time yeah. before the to excel at, to excel at something particularly, I think particularly creatively in, in terms of I just draw that distinction because you are bringing so much of yourself to to something whether it's guitar playing or painting yeah. or acting you have to have you have to turn certain things off within yourself to yeah. to achieve that. Well, I always use the example of Eddie Van Halen. You know, at one point greatest guitar player in the world. Even if you don't like his music, a lot of people recognise the amount of effort that went into that. By so many accounts, pretty shitty human being. Well, you know, if you play guitar 12 hours a day to get good, you you know, you're not doing your laundry, you're not talking yeah, yeah. to the people in your family, you know, yeah. you know, you're not connecting with daily life yeah. because you've chosen this one thing to tunnel in on. And you're sort of saying that 
you become a little bit of that for a for a focused period. Yeah, you know the duration of a of a rehearsal and yeah. a shoot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like um, the last thing that I did probably was Jean. I played um, Kate Elliott's mother in Jean, the story of Jean Batten. And that was very immersive mm. and very full-on and very emotionally challenging. I actually haven't seen it yet yeah. because I was out of the country when it played on TV and I'm, um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I'm very proud of that work. I, I haven't seen it, but I know it was good because it felt good on the inside. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, it's... It's so full on mm, mm. that it's completely exhausting. And that's why I say I love coaching, because it's all the things about acting that I love and none of the things about acting that are um, negative. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've met a few people, or even just talked briefly to people over the years that have either been at Toy Fakari, they've been in shows, they work at theatres, they've been on sets, um, sometimes with you, sometimes just with the knowledge of you, um, no one doesn't talk highly of you or or um, your selflessness in terms of coaching and your and your efforts and energy. People seem um, quite blown away by how, how prepared you are to give you know your generosity in terms of time, oh, obviously really knowledge. Nice. Um, that I imagine you've heard some version of that over the years. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but that must be a pretty good and important validation for what you do. But I want to know where do you get the energy from from to to turn up and be like that all the time? Mm. Don't you ever want to break from it? No, I suppose no. a break means no money. <laughs> well, it's, it's not the money too, but it's like you know, I um, anybody who's got a shitload of knowledge mm. purely because you've done it for your whole life, and and I've got I'm blessed with curiosity, yeah. So I'm always very interested in um, in adding to my knowledge base and mm. experiencing different things, blah blah. And also, I love talking, and I've got a naturally high um, level of adrenaline and energy, so I'm yeah. busy all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, if somebody wants to know something, I'm like, yay! Yeah. An opportunity for me to blab on <laughs> yeah. about something that I love. Yeah. How fantastic. Yeah, or to go and find out about something. Yeah. You know, to remind yourself, you were saying, you've got those stubs that of, yeah. of, of knowledge that sometimes require a bit of... Yeah, you know? a bit of tunneling. Yeah, yeah. And that's really rewarding. It's like, yeah. great, I get to go and find out more about quantum physics. Yesterday I was teaching um, my 30 teenagers at Rata about Schrodinger's cat, yeah. which is a really useful concept mm. for um, for something which is very much at the heart of acting. We saw a scene yesterday, I was like, great, this reminds me of Schrodinger's cat, let's go deeply into that. So those kids go away with a whole bunch of benefits not just about acting, but yeah. also about the world of science. And, and then they go and lock that concept up do. online and that takes them down further, yeah. like further away from the acting. But um, the more sort of wormholes they disappear down, yeah. they get a broader context for why you referenced it in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems to me to be like, with the work you're doing, I feel like one of the great things we've arrived at finally with so much of of us living a big portion of our life online is that actually it seems to have reduced uh, a competitive, a competition aspect and people want to, one of the great things about the internet is the idea of sharing, you know, not just accessing information but sharing it. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, people are able to to give, which is what you're doing, you know, but to give freely of, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Of the knowledge that you've acquired or, yeah. or, or the techniques that you have to go <coughs> and further, you know, 
update the... For the, sure. Yeah. It is the democratisation of yes. knowledge. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you put things on the internet and I'm like, great, thanks, Simon. Yeah. And then I'll share it and, you know, like, yeah, yeah. it's useful to the actors that I know. Somebody else will share it because it's useful to the musicians that they know or yeah. the journalists or, you know, everything is... Yeah, and so it's being processed in different ways, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's all a... Yes, it's sort of like a an abstract beating of the minds of something. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Obviously the changeover is the next project in terms of when it's released. Is, is there still, you're, you're in post-production? You're yes, we're in post-production now and I, you know, I, I love our film and Stuart loves our film too and we've, um, we feel very robust and excited about the fact that we've made a social realist, Andrea Arnold. It's like um, if... Twilight had been directed by Andrea Arnold. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's got a little bit in common with the first Twilight. Yep. Not all the other ones, which were so horrible. Yeah. Directed by somebody different than Each Catherine. Time, yeah, yeah. Um, whatever her name is, who directed the first one. Yeah. Um, so there is an element of social realist, of re- social realism about it, of documentary style, mm. um, a documentary style look. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, in its in its own way, it allows. <coughs> Christchurch to just emerge as a beautiful environment. So what you said about watching that movie in mm. Cuba Street 20 mm. years ago, mm. longer than 20 years ago, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, longer, um, is what you experience watching Christchurch yeah. at this moment in time. Yeah. And interestingly, you can't go back in time and make a film about Christchurch in 1984. Yeah. I don't think we would have chosen to do that even if we had been able to, mm. um, because it's a very contemporary story yeah. and it was a contemporary story when Margaret Mahi wrote it in 1984 so why would you not allow it to still be contemporary but anyway that option wasn't there for us yeah. because Christchurch is different so it was really exciting to allow a broken earthquake stricken Christchurch to be such an important character mm, mm. about this kind of broken girl so she's broken on the inside and the city is broken so the, on the, the metaphor is always there yeah, yeah. And, um, and so you can kind of downplay it yeah. because the city does, does its own work so that's really exciting. And from a performance perspective, which always really interests me, mm. the performances are just amazing and there are no weak links in it. So the, um, the mother-daughter relationship between Mina Levinsky and Erina James, who plays the lead, who's just fantastic. Mm. So extremely beautiful and a very emotionally powerful performance from her. The mother-daughter link is really strong. And, um, and the link between Carmody Bright, played by Timothy Spall, whom we were very lucky to get, mm. the link between him and Erinor is very strong. And the, ro- the romance between British actor Nicholas Galitzine, who's a like, you know, hot young mm. uh, rising star, and Erinor, that's really strong. Mm. And you go, oh, you know, I can't wait for them to kiss each other. <laughs> yeah. So that's really strong in it. And the relationship between Erinor and um, the boy playing Jacko, who's five years old, that's really strong. Those performances are really strong. How did you arrive at the source material? I mean, this is a classic book. Uh, yeah. It's up by an iconic New Zealand writer. So uh, people know the book. Usually, like, a lot of people know the book. And if they don't, they, they, know, the they know the name. And yeah. so they may even go to it. You're going to refer people back to it, which is cool, like, just by the film existing. People. Yeah. But um, in your life, how did you, you know, get to that story? And what did it mean to you? Like, Well, there's another loop that you were, we were talking yeah. about before. Because when I left drama school when I was a student, um, I was very young in my year. I think I went when I was 17, mm. 18. Um, uh, I left drama school. My first job out of drama school was to read the changeover on the radio. Right, yeah. So it must have been, it was published in 84. And I was at drama school in 83, 84. So I must have recorded it in early 85. And... Um, that was a, you know, I loved it then. 
and I always talked to Stuart about it and finally he read it and went oh my god what a great contemporary story yeah. about a teenager who's confronted with the um, in the real world issues of growing up <coughs> but in the psychological world um, magic realist kind of supernatural elements of um, of battling this evil spirit so so yeah we um, we sought the rights and um, and after a long period of you know complicated yeah, battles we've got the rights the, what's the full gestation I mean outside of you reading it on the radio like from from, from acquiring the rights or whatever Three, what's the full seven years yeah right from getting the rights yeah. to um, to shooting it, yeah, and that's pretty normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's you know like um, latterly a really intense period of writing and all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, but it is a fantastic adaptation. So um, it, that really serves. In fact, Margaret read it. She read um, Stuart's adaptation and she really loved it. And um, she could see that it, um, despite the fact that it's been updated, so cell phones have to be in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> really she she could see character. the change. Why you know the the changes were respectful or whatever, like yeah. it made sense. Like, yeah, the they update. made sense and they served the, um, the central, very strong um, heart yeah. and soul of the book. Yeah. So yeah, you know, and then we've, we've got Kate Harcourt, we've got Lucy Lawless in it. Yeah. Um, and we've got a, a, a amazing support cast of other smaller um, role players. Yeah. Um, and Christchurch itself. So it's like all the elements um, come together very strongly. Yeah, yeah. And have you got a release date? Uh, mid-September yeah, is right. when it, we hope that it will be released in New Zealand yeah. so that you know there's a whole bunch of we've got to finish it before then Yeah. Um, and now we're moving um, you know once we've locked off the edit then of course we'll go into sound and music and excitingly we've got Andrew um, um, Thomas uh, is doing the music oh, right. who's another great New Zealander who lives and works in Wellington mm-hmm. in his other life as a, um, as a designer but um, has got a, I can't remember the name of his label in, um, in Berlin, but he's a very successful um, electronic music yeah. maker. Um, and so he's done our soundtrack and that's really, that's cool. Yeah, cool. And we've got some other really great music in there. So, so this has also been a great education for us. We've spent six months listening to yeah, yeah. team music yeah. and it's all its different forms. Well, you guys, I um, mean, well, it was Stuart's film in terms of directing it. Four Good had that amazing Shane Carter score, yes. which again used a couple of dimmer tracks and a couple of things in dub, but was actually an, an actual conceived score. Yeah. yeah, which was an amazing um, listening experience on its own. Yeah, and then you know watching the film, it's. It, it serves the film like it's not just oh this is a good musician who people like or yeah. take that away it, it's so integrated as a score yeah because he I mean he was the right spirit to yes. make the music for that film because it was a very dark film yeah. and he's got a lot of dark brooding brooding <laughs> energy yeah. South Island yes. he's from Dunedin yeah. and the film was set originally in the Catelands yeah, yeah. that's the, the situation that it was based on yeah. so there was a beautiful um uh, coming together of those two yeah. elements, and I feel the same way about Andrew. Right, um, who's got a very delicate sensibility, but also um, uh, it's very subtle, but yeah. it's also really, really powerful. So he's doing some beautiful. On a really basic, crude level, I just think like the sort of electronic and electronic kind of aspect of the score will be its own version of you know. A kind of magic which suits the theme of the because pe- you know people don't people even people who listen regularly to a lot of that sort of music ask them how it's made and unless they're watching they have no clue 
how that instrument's being triggered or what instrument's being used, how it's being coaxed. Yeah, so yeah. It could have that kind of aspect to it. It too. totally does. So there's one um, beautiful piece of music which is called Fridge because he recorded his fridge, mm. which happened to be making a really amazing sound <laughs> yeah, at that yeah, moment. Yeah. And he recorded that, and that sound, which has got foreboding in it, and mm. it's got a kind of a unpredictability in terms of its rhythm, yeah. a, um, that's the basis of that piece of music. Yeah. So um, I love that, that, that uh, element of found objects, which is in the film visually, where the cinematographer mm. um, um, finds beautiful things to shoot, which are found objects, and objects that happen to be really there on the day. Mm. That element is both in the the, um, the visuals and also in the music. Yeah, yeah. Will you, with all of your acting coaching work, do you do some of that while you're knee-deep in the changeover, like on the set, or do you have to, are you able to make yourself unavailable to... No. No, if you know, it's like being a. It is like being you're a psychologist. On call. Yeah, you're yeah. on call. That's that's why I asked. I wondered if <laughs> yeah. you're able to go call this person instead, which you kind of can't do to someone that you've spent ten or fifteen years working with. No, no, you with. can't. And also, sometimes you don't want to. Yeah, because, yeah. I was going to say know, you like don't somebody, want to. I've got really amazing clients, and you need those parts of the puzzle for you. Yeah. Just as much as they do, you know, need themselves. Like, yeah. You need all those parts. Exactly. And if somebody that I've been working consistently with on their film, yeah, that they're in the middle of shooting in Miami or something, yeah. you know, and um, and they're in week three of their shoot, no one else can do that because we've had the. The journey yeah, through, yeah, yeah. and it's a, you know, it's not like, uh, it's not like they're a regular client for twelve years, like yeah. every week. For yeah, yeah, years. yeah, yeah. That's not the way I work, and not the way that I would want to work, because I don't want to be locked down in that way. Yeah. But if I if I say to person X, yeah, I'm going to work with you on that film, mm. then I know that that's going to be a two month um, commitment. Mm. And if they ring me in the middle of the night or um, the middle of a shooting day, yeah. I've got to find a way to just you know sit in the portaloo. <laughs> Or find yeah. <laughs> um, a random garage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the public, very glamorous the film look, um, the industry, public toilets <laughs> that I have coached in yeah. all over the world in India. You know, where you just got to find an empty space, and mm. often that is a public. Just toilet. enough to take a call or whatever. Just enough to lock the door and be able to spend some time on the phone in a relatively quiet space. Wow, um, I'm conscious of our time. So, is there anything that you wanted to bring up or side off with, or anything you wished I'd asked you? And I haven't done the right job, or do you want to? Is there anything you want to further no, plug? This has been a great conversation that is so um, luxurious to be able to sink deeply into some of these yeah. questions and thoughts. I, I, the, the only thing that I would say that um, you wouldn't know to ask about is that very much at the heart of what I do as an acting coach is a sort of relationship with the body. My specialty mm, is okay. in creating connections, so I worked on um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2, and I was called in to. Um, warm up the relationship between the two leads right and um and many different um situations that's my job is to find a connection between the two lead characters mm-hmm. so, or, or between characters in the film <coughs> and ways that um that i do that are often um ways oriented around science so for example in the changeover um to, when nicholas arrived he's 22 he arrived in new zealand from britain mm. um erin was 16 at that time she was like very nervous about meeting this guy. He was nervous about meeting her. But we it was important that, that that feeling of nervousness and carefulness around each other didn't translate into the relationship between the characters. Mm. So we had to find some way for them to, like, mm. really mm. quickly um, in preparation for the shoot. So in that situation, we sent them down to Queenstown. They did a tandem bungee together. Right. And yeah. that was like going through a two-year relationship yeah. in ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. And when they came out of that bungee... 
the, spark, the spark, the connection was there. Absolutely. Wow. They had yeah. been through something incredibly intense together. Yeah. And so they were connected up. Yeah. And um, and that's the that's a really good example of the kind of work that I do. But yeah. whether it's with drama students or um, it's like quick tools mm. to connect actors up mm, mm. Um, and f- and find a warmth between them, so that when you or I are watching the film, mm, mm. Um, we go. I, I want them to be together. I want them to go on a journey together. I want this relationship to work. Yeah. So that we feel it instead of um, just intellectually knowing it. And, and that's what a lot of my research is about, is right, finding right. ways to connect people up like that. And then you have the whole kind of voice side of what you do too, because you do a lot of, or have done a lot of, you know, like you said with the changeover, like reading, live readings, radio readings. Yeah, yeah. You're the voice of Harry McCleary and, for, and for families. Yeah, yeah, you would know. I, I, I discovered that, you know, a couple of years ago, and, and, you know, I knew it, but I'd never actually sat down with it. Yeah, apart yeah. from the book so watching that DVD and we've got that, um, that DVD um, <laughs> is in the changeover actually yeah right the Slinky Malinky story yeah so um, it's uh, you know and that's a little kind of a, like you know subtle just thing that we're planning yeah 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 but yeah no I find that really rewarding and I've done um, voiceovers for Hyundai because I've been doing the yeah. voiceover for 10 yeah. years I have done Hyundai voiceovers in the most weird places all over the world public news in India oh yeah 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 <laughs> You but, know. you know, I've gone to recording studios in Philadelphia, in Hawaii, yeah. in India, in London, in virtually all of the places that I've been. Wow, yeah, yeah, doing it. Coached, yeah, yeah. I've had to find a recording studio to go Nip to. away to sell a car. Yeah, to sell a car. <laughs> and that's been cool too. I grew up with a car salesman, so I know, you know, really? as a father, so right. he used to nip away and try and sell cars while we were on holiday too. <laughs> so maybe in a slightly different way, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hamish Mackay, who's a good friend of mine, who's an um, art dealer. Mm. Do you know Hamish? Mm. His dad, um, Campbell Mackay, was a car salesman. Yeah. So uh, Hamish would still talk about tyre kickers. Yeah, yeah. I use that expression all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect for galleries too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.